All right, so we're going to welcome everybody back to Love Notes from God, and this is our second week of having in person. I'm really excited about this. It's nice to have faces and bodies right here, but I love that we can still have the Zoom option for those who can't be here. I love how that works together, and that um, we have Michelle at home tonight, and she can interact with us even though she's at home. So I like that. It's not just watching it, although if you're watching us on YouTube later, Thumbs up. <laughs> Miss Jan does that to me a lot. <laughs> All right. So I want to, I think pretty much most, pretty much most, oh my goodness. I have a cold and my brain's a little muddled. So excuse me. <laughs> um, most of you who are in here tonight were not here last week. And we had started um, a series that I'm calling something beautiful. So I'm gonna go back and review just like the premise, the basics of that series first. And for those of you who were here last week, you just get a bonus lesson, right? Um, but for this, we're gonna start in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. Zephaniah three seventeen. I'll let you guys get there and you guys may be comfortable, but I'm hot, so. <laughs> yes, ma'am. What? I can't. Oh, I don't. Okay. Zephaniah 3.17. Everybody's searching. I love watching people search on their cell phones when we have spotty cell phone service. <laughs> so, did you? Oh, but you notice he didn't open it. He's on his phone. But do you know what? I'm not using my favorite version tonight because for this verse, I like the way that the New Living Translation reads. They all, when you read through all the translations, this particular verse reads the same, but I just like the way the words come across with what I'm teaching. So, you guys there? We all there? All right, Zephaniah 3, 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is the mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, and with his love he will calm all your fears and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs god sings over each of us and that's what we were talking about last week how god sings over us he sings over these these five women from the bible that we've picked out to talk about he sings over us so last week when we started i asked what you thought the theme song of your life would be. What would the theme song of your life just this week, what would it be? <laughs> so last week, I know Michelle had told me Amazing Grace for her life. Yeah. Um, I said, some, there's some days that I feel like, well, 
not right now, but there have been times in my life where I feel like I'm on the old, um, I just forgot the name of it. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> the comedy, the comedy show with the, with the barns, the old comedy show. Green Not Green Acres. No, the. Um, I know which one you're talking oh, about, but I can't think of it. I told you I have cold brain. Hee haw! You talking about hee haw? So sometimes I feel like I'm on hee haw, singing gloom, despair, and agony on me. We do. We feel that way, don't we? <laughs> All right, see, I can remember the song, I just couldn't remember he hawked. Okay. All right, I was gonna say honky. I was like, that is not it. <laughs> okay, so has anybody got a theme song we pick up this week? On the road again? We've got some visitors with us who are traveling. They're here in their camper for the weekend, so they're on the road again. All right. Celebration. Celebration. Okay, Dave apparently is having a different week than I am because he's singing celebration. <laughs> Larry says, Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah. Yes, yes. Last week when we talked, we talked about Rahab. We talked about in her life how I just there's something about. Audrey and I had a conversation while I was studying and it just hit me. But I just really think that there were times that God was just singing over her. You are so beautiful to me. I'm not singing it. Don't look at me that way. You won't come sing your solo again. I did. Yes, you did. But that you are so beautiful to me. That God just poured that on to her. We talked about Joshua and Jericho and yeah, we think of Joshua with the battle of Jericho, and that's where our mind goes to the spiritual. But I can almost see God, okay, they've known we're youth pastors and children's pastors for 30 years. You just have to have to deal with us some. But I can almost see God up there going, go, Jacob, go, Joshua, go, Joshua, go, Joshua, go. You know, and just being excited. That's my boy. He's going, he's going. What, Audrey? No, I didn't understand you. Only if you want to. Okay. <laughs> um, we are what was the one that Robbie did with the sticks? What was that song? Oh, Rise, my love. Yes. Um, oh, yes. And, and and that is when God is talking to us about um that is an East, we do that a lot at Easter. We've done dramas with that and just like, arise, my love. But God called him out of the grave, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. He rose for us. Sometimes he tells us to arise too, but we're feeling down in those pits of despair and gloom and agony. Are you wanting to sing? Okay, Audrey wants to sing because that was her idea. Okay, you need me started? You are so beautiful to me. So beautiful to me. Can't you see this? I'm so beautiful. You are 
Good job. God sings these things over us, right? You know, we talk, and I, I didn't mention this last week, but one of my favorite worship choruses is, um, is the song, You Are All I Need. Because when you get to that bridge, it says, more than the air I breathe, and more than that song I sing, God, you are all I need. For those of us, we, as humans, we have music ingrained in us. Those songs, those lullabies that we that were sung to us as children, when you when you put a baby in our arms, what do we automatically do? We sing those same songs that were sung to us when we were children. <laughs> but you have. That's not quite true, Larry. I know you can sing. Hey. My, I, I, we tease my dad, tell my dad he can't carry a tune in the bucket. But worship, but music is still a part of his life. And it's part of that rhythm because that's what God created us to be. He sings over us and we sing. You find yourself humming along to songs. If you're driving down the road and a song comes on that you've heard over and over again, whether you think you can sing or not, do you not hum or whistle? or whistle um our son doesn't like it for people to hear him singing no he'll, he'll just sit there and tap out the beats the whole time it's still music it's part of who we are it's part of what god ingrained in us so real quick i want to go through the five things review these five things that are in this verse that i want us to look at and tonight we're going to look at ruth we looked at rahab last week we're going to look at ruth so first, God lives with us, right? It says there, God is living among you. God lives with us. He meets us right where we are. Wherever you are, you're not without God. God is there. He lives among us. Okay, second, he is, a he is mighty and he saves us. So there's other translations of this verse, and we talked about this last week, and they describe God as a warrior, as a powerful soldier, as a hero, all of those things. When we think of, and one of the things I think of is, you know, we think of our soldiers, you know, rushing in and, and into the battle, but also we think about our firefighters when there is a fire, what do they do? They rush in there. And last week in Knoxville, right before we had Bible study, there was a news story about there were two police officers who were being treated for smoke inhalation because they rushed in because the firefighters weren't there yet to rescue people. Those are heroes, but that is what God is. He's our hero. He's a powerful soldier. He's a warrior. He goes to battle for us, but he's our savior. All right, third point here. He takes delight in us. He takes delight in you. He takes delight in me. We delight God. Now, some of our choices do not delight God. Some of our situations we put ourselves in 
do not delight God, but he delights in us because we're his children. We are the apple of his eye, right? He loves us. He wants the best for us and he delights in us. And it, as a parent, those of you who are parents, nothing makes you happier than to see your children and your grandchildren happy. When you see them full of joy, that brings joy to you. And that's the way God is with us. He delights in us. All right, point four, he brings peace and calmness. It says, he, with his love, he will calm all your fears. He quiets the noise. In the midst of your chaos, he brings a stillness and a peace and calm. When everything feels chaotic and, and crazy and out of control, God brings us peace. All right. And the fifth one, which you know is my favorite point right now, he sings over me. Sings over you. Some of these other translations says he exalts over you with loud singing. All right. Those of you who do not sing, I can still imagine that if you see your child doing something, say you've got a son running down the football field getting ready to score a goal, you're not sitting there going, are you? You are up and you are loud. You are exalting in his accomplishment. It may not be singing, but sometimes it is. It's woo, 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 woo. That's a little <laughs> bit of a song, but it could be a song. <laughs> All right. He delights with you with shouts of joy. <laughs> We're having a Bible study. You want to join us? <laughs> All right. Well, you're welcome to join us. Um, God celebrates you. That's where we are. God celebrates you. So now we've done our review for those who weren't here last week. First time info for those who weren't who weren't here. So now we're going to move back to Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem when Christ was born, but Bethlehem many years before that. <laughs> All right. So how many, what do you remember about the story of Ruth? Where does the story of Ruth and Naomi start? doesn't start in Bethlehem. It starts where? In Moab. Moab. Naomi and her husband and her sons had come from Bethlehem. They come seeking a better life. There was famine across the land and it came to Moab and it was famine and they came. But while they were there, her sons married two local Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the famine hits Moab too. And what happens? The three men die. So let's think about what a woman to do without a man in her home in Bible tongues. 
Can she own property? Not usually. There were some a few exceptions, but not usually. Did they have their own businesses? Not usually. There were a few. I mean, we know like if, when we read through the New Testament, Dorcas so was a seamstress and she made money that way to supply her family. We know that the widow who met the prophet Elijah would sold the cakes and stuff to to provide for her family. So they they did, they found ways to scrape by. But generally, what was the answer? You gotta go get married again, right? Well, apparently in Moab there weren't anybody any <laughs> available men. Because Naomi decides there's nobody left here for me. I'm going back home to Bethlehem. God has blessed Bethlehem. They're no longer in this famine. I can go back. My family will take me in as a widow and they will, in my old age, and they will take care of me. And so she's going back. Well, Orpha and Ruth decide what? What way? You're not leaving us here alone to starve. We're coming with you. And about halfway, I don't even know if it was halfway, but into the journey, some Naomi stops and she tells her daughters in law, Go home, don't follow me. Go home. I have no more sons, I'm too old, I'm not going to have any more sons. I can't give you husbands. Go home. And Orpah does, but Ruth doesn't. Somebody have Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Can you read that for me? Verse 16. Yep. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to come back to follow me after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Okay. Ruth. Ruth already isn't saying she's going for a husband, right? Apparently, that's what Orpah wanted. Which reasonable. I mean, that's how they survived. But Ruth wasn't going for a husband. She was wanted to stay with Naomi. The verse, verse 15, it says that she clung to her, that she held on to her. She did, and she was begging her there in verse 16, she, I entreat you, do not make me leave you. Don't make me go. Let me stay. Let me stay. She was begging to stay. Begging to stay. I want to pause for a second. I want us to take note of something. Naomi and her husband and those boys were representatives of who? Representatives of God, right? What is our first point back there in 317? God does what? He lives with us. He lives among us. God was in Moab was considered it was pagan it was the worst place they considered them inferiors not much better than dogs they were not considered to be worth anything but God sent people there now we know that Naomi and her husband made the choice they thought to go over there and to to survive but what they were when they went there, even if it was their choice to go, is they were the very presence of God in that place. They were the presence of God's people in the barren land. Orpah didn't recognize that. 
But I think Ruth did because Ruth, let your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Let me be part of what you have. Let me see what you have. Let me be part of this. It's something that we've got that we as Christians should have. We should understand is that where we go, we are taking God to people. We are taking God into the barren land. We're taking God into the pagan land. Whether it's stepping into our living rooms in the morning or whether we go on the mission field, there are times that our very presence is bringing God's presence to somebody else. Now, if I go around like I had this week, and some of you know I had a very rough week this week <laughs> at work. Um, I work with children with behavior issues and um, we had a meltdown and I got um, injured. <laughs> so oh, no. that is a rough week for us. So when, if I am singing gloom, despair, agony on me, and that's what I've determined is my theme song, Am I taking the presence of God with me into my workplace? I had a very difficult work situation this week myself. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a little bit of yours. You shared a little bit the other day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt convicted a little bit. This happened on Wednesday morning and um, course we were all just commiserating on Wednesday afternoon in our break because you know we're just it just happened and we were all um in response crisis response mode still but then on Thursday that client canceled that appointment and I was so relieved and then I looked at Dave and I said I shouldn't feel that way because <laughs> God sent me there for that child, for whatever is going on in their life. And that's why I'm there. Um, and even my coworker, who was really struggling even more than I was with the situation, we ended up working together on Thursday afternoon with another client. And by then, I think I had got myself together enough that we were able to, to talk and it be, you know, back to where it needed to be. But we have what we sing over ourselves overshadows in our ears what God is singing over us. So think about that. God may be up in heaven singing, you are so beautiful to me, or um, I can't even think, that you are a mighty warrior, or um, <laughs> there is a pop song that I have, I'm telling you, God used it to get me through a rough time in my life. And that is, this is my fight song, my take back my life song. Yes. You know, sometimes we take hold of that. And that became my, my that was my theme song for a long time when I, when we were hurt in the ministry. That, because we gave everything up. We left our church. We moved our kids. We did everything because we were hurt so bad. And so that song became my theme song. That song God used to sing over me. This is your fight song. You can get through this. But if on the other hand, if during that, I'm instead singing gloom, despair, agony on me, 
that what I sing out of my mouth is louder than what God's singing into my spirit. How can I be the presence of God to someone else? Sometimes we have to recognize that God's voice has to be louder than our own voice. And that's part of that. He brings calm with his love. He brings calm to us. He quiets the chaos. That's part of that. His voice, his loving voice, singing over us, brings us calm. All right, let's get back to Ruth. We get all the way back to Bethlehem. They travel all the way back. The Naomi's family apparently took them in and had somewhere to stay. Somebody said Naomi's house. So apparently she had her own little house when we're reading this. But how are they going to eat? They're just going to sit there and wait for God to drop manna from heaven again? He could. That's not what they did. That's not what he had them do. Ruth went to work. She followed the other women into the field of Boaz and began to glean. So this was one way that the nation of Israel and a lot of other cultures at the time did. This is how they provided for those, the widows and those who were for the disabled who weren't able to really work and farm for themselves is as they would harvest, you always drop pieces because it's not like today with machinery and it bundles it up so tightly and then you lose some. But there would always be some that fell behind. So people would go in and they were called the gleaners because they would pick it up and they'd glean what was left and they'd take it. And that would be what they would use to bake bread. They'd make their own, they'd mill their own grain, make a bread and they'd eat. So Ruth is like, I'll do what we got to do. We got to eat. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to be part of this. But then Boaz sees her gleaning the fields. He asked about her. Something about her caught his attention. Now, this is always told as this huge romance story and that she must have been so beautiful that she just struck his eye. But I think he saw a stranger. He's like, who is that woman in my field? Just like when we see new cars come in the came for the weekend, I'm like, Dave, who is that? Because we just, we don't know who it is. We want to make sure they're supposed to be there. Well, his workers tell them, what? This is Ruth, the Moabite woman who came home with Naomi. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law, but she's the one who came back and she's, she's gathering to feed Naomi. Now, those of you who were here last week might remember this, but there's something special about Boaz's family tree. Who was his mother? Rahab. It was Rahab. Okay. <laughs> Rahab married Salmon, or Salmon, or however they pronounce it in Hebrew, <laughs> who was Boaz's, that's what we learned last week in Judges. She married this father. What do you think Boaz knew about the hardships that Rahab might have endured being a single woman alone? What did she have to resort to to provide for her family? Well, 
like we talked about last week, we don't know if Rahab was a widow, if she had been orphaned as a child, you know, if she had been divorced and cast aside. We don't know what caused Rahab to be in the situation that she had to work as a prostitute. But that was how she survived. But God provided redemption for her because she saved the, the, the spies who had come into Canaan and to the city of Jericho. God provided for her. He provided her safety and shelter and relief. And ultimately, she becomes one of the five women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Who else grew up on those stories? Think about it. I never really took that together until I started studying for this Bible study. Boaz grew up on these stories of, this is what God did for your mom. This is what I was. And God brought me out of it. His mother was a convert. She was a Gentile convert to Judaism. So when Boaz looks at Ruth, you kind of wonder, did he see a woman who, who was on the verge of being what his mother had to go through? You've got to wonder what emotions, human emotions were in there and in play that God had in play for this story in this time. I just, I wonder, you know, all those questions you say you've got for people when you get to heaven. That's one of the things. Go ask, what did you really think about Ruth when you saw her? That's one of those things I'd like to know. So Boaz approaches her when he realizes who she is. And he, he asks her, he says, please remain in my fields. God's brought you here for protection. Stay here under God's protection. That's what he says. He's, he's recognizing himself just as an agent of protection at this point. That he's going to protect her from those other things. But then he does something else. He goes to his workers and he says, I want you to leave extra grain for her. Make sure that she gets enough. You leave extra in her path. How many times does God do that for us? He leaves extra. He is a mighty savior. Sometimes he saves us by just providing at the right time exactly what we need. It's a mighty savior. And Ruth asked him, why are you being so kind? She asked him this before. And that's when he tells her, God sent you here. God sent you here. So not only did God send his presence to Ruth, he brought Ruth back to his protection. Sometimes when we're that presence to somebody else, it's to guide them back to safety, right? Sometimes that's a hard position to be in and God gets people back to safety. That's what he does with us. Can you imagine Ruth when she went home that night? The Bible tells us um, that she talks about what a great guy Boaz is, right? There in chapter three. She talks about what a great guy he is. 
but I can almost imagine she's almost like a little giddy schoolgirl. I can't believe this. Why is this happening? I can't believe he said he'd protect us. He's going to protect us. We're okay, Naomi. We got this. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But Naomi had other plans, didn't she? <laughs> now, I look at this, and when I read Naomi's plans, I really wonder if she was trying to play matchmaker or if she was just wanting to solidify that protection that he had said he promised her. Or if it was both. I think there's a little bit of both there. Because the way she sends him was in a way that could have compromised his integrity. Right. He, was a, he was laying in the threshing floor, right? And she uncovered his feet. It wasn't that she fell asleep at his feet. She uncovers his feet and lay at his feet. And it, the Bible says that when he, he awoke because he was startled because there was somebody at his feet. But I wonder, I wonder if he, you know, okay, let's go back. He grew up on the stories of who his mother was. But that also is what protected Ruth in that moment. That is what protected Ruth in that moment. So as she and Boaz talk, Boaz tells her, there's another. I cannot be your redeemer. I cannot be this kinsman redeemer. This is this... Um, things set up in their religious and political structure to make sure that if, if, if that you we don't have widows out there young widows who are just left out there to starve to death the closest male relative was to marry them and bring them into their home whether that was a romantic situation or just merely providing a home for them that was their duty so Boaz has a little bit of manipulating of his own doesn't he he goes to the city elders like he's supposed to. And he says, Naomi has returned home. Ruth is with her, talks about them. And he tells this potential kinsman redeemer, she's got this property that's yours. You're the next of kin. You know, you, you can take that. But if you do, in order to get it, you have to marry Ruth. And he's like, uh, nah, I'm good. He must not want another wife. I don't know. So Boaz and Ruth marry, and they become the great grandparents of King David. There's something about this family tree, isn't there? God mm -hmm. So let's go back and look at my five points again. Some of these I hit as we went through. What was that? I said God had a plan the whole time. <laughs> he, he did. He absolutely did. Um, sorry, I'm checking my time. Okay. So point one, he lives among you. What were the ways that we see God living among Ruth's situation? That God was there and present with her. First one was just a simple fact that the Jewish people came to Moab. And they allowed their sons to marry Moabite women. That, that was a huge thing in and of itself. How else is God among her life 
in the story. Where else do we see God? Provision. Provision. And redemption. And God, you know, the presence of God is shown even in those workers obeying Boaz. Because those workers did not have to obey Boaz. They could have thrown one extra piece and technically obeyed him, but they didn't. They provided the way that he told them to. That's it, the, the group of city elders. Those city elders could have refused to let Boaz marry her and insisted that the other man do so. But that didn't happen. God was there among them. He lives among us. He lives among those who are roofs in our society. He lives among those who are roofs among us here tonight. All right. The so second thing, he's a mighty savior. I mean, the obvious thing is that the kinsman redeemer, he was a mighty savior. But how else did he save? Think through the story. How else did he save? And I got to remember to stand back here for that camera. Um, how else did he save? He provided food. When Naomi got back, she could have been turned away by that family. God's favor was on them through this whole thing. And he provided, he provided provision. And he saved them from starvation. He saved them that journey. I don't, I'm not sure how far that journey is, but he saved them from from robbers and thieves and and wild animals and all of those things that were dangerous on those journeys. And even in Naomi's scheme, he saved them from moral embarrassment. Protected the reputation. All right. So how do you think God takes delight in Ruth? How do we see that? He was, I think so. You need help? Are you talking, Michelle? I'm not sure if she's talking to us or somebody in the house. <laughs> um, Sorry, I was talking to someone else. Okay. So how else, I mean, does he take delight in her? And we see that he takes delight in her. You know, we hold up Boaz as this example of what godly love should be, right? That he wanted to protect her, that he wanted to provide for her. He wasn't even thinking about marriage at the moment that he was offering to protect and provide for her. She was just family, just somebody that needed to be taken care of. He showed her grace. Could have truly embarrassed her and cast her out when he found her at his feet. And he didn't. But you know how else God takes delight in her? This is the one thing that gets me. That's these five women we're talking about. He, he made sure that when the, his family tree or his son was written down, Ruth's name was listed. 
Why? Think about it. What do Ruth and, and, and Rahab have in common besides the fact that they were single women and alone in the world? They were both Gentiles. They both had to convert to Judaism, you know, accept God. And that was the only way to accept God before Christ was to convert to Judaism. She, they are examples and a reminder to all of us that God's grace, his love, his redemption is for everybody. He doesn't exclude anybody. The, Moab, the Moabites were considered lowlifes. They were considered less than human by the Jews. But she's included in the genealogy of Christ. Because God took someone who was less than and brought them up. When he tells us that the last shall be first and the first shall be last, this is what it means. It doesn't matter who we are, whether we're big name people or little people. God loves us the same. God loves us and will bring us redemption and will bring us grace and will restore us no matter who we are because we're his children. He created each and every one of us and we are his children. All right, my fourth point, he brings peace. So where do we see God's love bringing peace to her chaos? When she's I think that was a big moment. Mm -hmm. um, you ever not know when your next meal is going to come from? Yeah. <clears throat> and when you don't know where that next meal is going to come from, especially when you have someone else that you are having to provide for, and in this case, it was Naomi for Ruth, it was her mother-in-law. But if you have other people that you're having to provide for, it's not just you not eating, but maybe your, your parents or your children. That turmoil, that fear, the despair that is in your heart and in your mind. But that extra wheat, just the first few pieces of wheat brought her peace when she realized she could do something. Do you imagine the calm, the peace that came to her when she saw the workers leaving her extra? Well, I think it also started thinking about her respect for Naomi. Yeah. And the God that Naomi served. Because mm -hmm. evidently, Naomi had to be very calm and, and trusting in God and, and his commandments that, that essentially gave her the faith to do whatever Naomi said. Yes. So she had peace in the God that Naomi served, that Naomi would direct her to do the right thing. And I think that gave her Ruth a lot of peace. It's a reminder to us that we we need to trust the godly counsel that's placed in our lives. And we know what's godly counsel and we know what is human advice. We may not want to recognize it as such, but we know, or we know when someone's talking to us and that that's God speaking to us. We know that. So Ruth, 
had no hope, no future. That's why Orpah ran back to her parents. She's like, you, you're right, you don't have any sons. Let me go see if I can find somebody back in Moab. But Ruth clung to Naomi. I also wonder, what had God spoken to Naomi's heart? Was she just homesick? Or was there a purpose behind that the entire time for her? Did she have this in her? You know, maybe not the whole story, but had to God place these pieces along the way? I really believe he had to guide her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the word says that, I'm sorry, the word says that our, our footsteps are, are older to the Lord. And I mean, that hasn't changed. Right. It's, it's always hard. been. Yeah. So I believe he does. His people, he, he does got us. I can even look back at times where before, I mean, I was raised in church, you know, and I can remember though, I had gotten away from the Lord for a long time. And even when I was not living right, I can look back and I can see like a ch like chess pieces, how God moved my life, moved me from place to place. And from, you know, he would put people in my life and I had people praying for me. Um, mm -hmm. I can see how God was moving even when I was not surrendered to him. So I believe he does move us even when we're not right with him. You know, if he knows that we're going to get, you know, he, if he's bringing us to that place, you know. I agree. I mean, we pray, we pray for God to, to draw people to him. Well, if he's not ordering steps, even of those who are not following him, how does he draw them to him? Yeah. You know, he, the guidance has to be there. All right, point five is he sings joyful songs over her. So, what song do you think God was singing over Nan? Uh, Bruce, let's get back to the right one. <laughs> um, what song do you think God could be singing over Ruth? I will say, I come back, and the, the whole title of this particular series is something beautiful, because the words of that song, and I cannot sing it tonight. There's another something beautiful song. It says something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood. Yeah. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife that he makes up. Beautiful. And I think that goes all the way heaven and Yeah, it does. Exactly right. Because all of our confusion, all of our confusion. Do you ever feel confused? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Never I do. laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you have to offer God? I mean, there are times it's just brokenness and strife. She felt led to sing, and she was going to sing until God moved. And so she kept on and kept on singing. And there was a neighbor that heard her singing, and it irritated him. And he 
let her know. And she kept on running, he kept complaining. And so uh, finally, he said, why are you saying it? And she told him why. And he, uh, she keeps singing, she keeps annoying him. And then he shows up with two carts full of groceries. And he said, now will you hush? I've gotten you the food you have been asking God for, but I got it. I bought it. Here's the receipt. I didn't have anything to do with it. And so she kept looking at the food and, the, and he showed her the receipt and she looked at it and said, God has, has acted. And he couldn't get through to her, but he's the one that did. And finally she said, My woman is not acting. And you make a And that's an example of somebody not even of God that entered the picture and Absolutely. Had an effect on the outcome. Absolutely. Well, life throws a lot of different things. We talk about steps to in order. Several years ago, I resigned in my church in Oklahoma. We moved to Kingsland, Georgia, to be close to our parents. Wasn't any church. In the Church of God because it was available anywhere close in Georgia. So essentially, here I was out of the ministry, been preaching every Sunday for years. Long story short, God put me in a health clinic and then he moved me to a VA clinic. And Betty came up to me and she knew I'd been down for quite a while. She said, you got to get over this. There's more to ministry than preaching. And she said, you need to go into that mental health plan every day. See, they put me in charge administratively of the mental health plan. So I was establishing a mental health clinic in the Clinic in that area. And Debbie said, You've got to go to work and say that's your mission. That's where God wants you to stand. And I can't tell you that God let me touch a lot of the first guys that those veterans got to contact when they called their mental health clinic with me when they were in crisis. And I, I was able, through God's help, you know, to forge a relationship with many of the veterans. And God, over time, gave me the ability to discern what was true crisis. I needed to get to my psychologist and to my psychiatrist immediately. And they also teach you that if it's a true crisis, you can't let go of life. You've got to stay on the line and do things, you know, and, and gladly, I was never one to experience losing one to suicide, but I believe it was tough. Yes. And I was able, thanks to her, <laughs> see that that was the mission. To be able to touch a lot of that is so important for us as Christians to recognize yeah. is that wherever we are, wherever we are, is our mission field. God places us places we never thought we would be. I never thought I would be working in a uh, 
it's a different type of mental health clinic, but I work right, in yes. mental health. I never thought that that was my life. That and was my existence. And we have, I, I work with children who are nonverbal, teaching them um, what we call verbal behavior. So we go beyond what speech therapists do to help them um, find their words. Doesn't always happen, but most of them, we do get some language out of. And I have one little boy that I use as an example. His parents gave me permission to use his story. He's no longer a client of mine. When he came to us, he was not, he did not speak at all. Um, the church that they were attending at because he would throw things to get attention. Um, they asked him not to bring him back. And they found another church. One that um, had special ministries in place to help with children like this. And he, he, um, he has a buddy who goes with him to class every week now. And one of his last times he was with me, he was telling me all something. And I could not understand what he was saying. And so I went and asked his mom what he was saying. And she said, Amanda, that's Jonah. He's telling you about Jonah and the whale. The boy had just sat through his first children's church class ever. Wow. But it was because of the skills that God had me teach him. That's a ministry. It is an absolute ministry. He also opened my eyes to a lot of other stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. But he, and those parents, that's what they wanted more than him to be able to go to school. They want him to be able to, to get hold of the word of God. And now we can. Wherever we go, God has ordered our steps. He's ordered our steps to be the presence of God living among the people. Right. That's what it's all The Lord your God lives among you, but how does he live among you? How often, I'm not, I, I've had it happen, but how often do you hear the audible voice of God? Not very. How often do you see a vision that is God? Not often. But how often does your answer to your prayer come from someone who had no clue what you were going through, but God sent them into your life at that moment? Many, many times. God sends us. We have people sent to us, but we are to be sent to others. And that is, if we get hold of that, and that's why Ruth landed where she did. Her story is amazing. You know, God sent Naomi and her husband and her sons. Apparently, such a spiritual example that Ruth wanted what they've got. She wanted more. She wanted what she had. She followed them back. But not only was it that person, she sent, he, was, he sent her to Boaz. Boaz, who would understand what she was up against and what she potentially could come if nothing, if, if someone did not step in. Someone who accepted her for who she was because God brought her there. Every step of that journey was a miracle. Yes, it's a great love story, and we love to tell it as a great love story, but there's more to it than that. It's the love story of God for his child yeah. to order the steps. 
It's not just about a man, Prince Charming, rescuing the damsel in distress. It's about God providing provision and redemption and salvation and grace and mercy and all of those things that we want in our lives. It's a miracle. All right. Anybody else have any other comments? So amazing. Right. We see God works through people. <laughs> you wouldn't think God would touch with the ten foot pole. I mean, it's hard. I, 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 but God works through His children. And he uses us. Sometimes we just have to recognize that that's what that is for somebody else. And
and then I'm going to stop our YouTube recording. The girls have asked for us to sing a song before we stop, but I, I'm going to play by YouTube's rules and make sure that we don't <laughs> have any copyright issues there, okay? So, um, so, um, I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by noises. <laughs> um, I just feel that we, we know that God sings over us, but God sings through us. He uses us to be him to people. And we keep saying that over and over again. And I just want to pray tonight as we close that that is, as we leave, that that's what we can step out and do, that we recognize where we go, that we have an opportunity to be God for someone else, to bring his presence to them in a way, and that we're open to listening for God to guide us to do that. Sometimes we miss that as well. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this group tonight. Father, I thank you that we can come together and that we can get into your word and that we can share our experiences and how it relates. Father, because that is what our fellowship is for. But Father, I love that your word reveals to us, even today, those things which we may overlook in our daily walk. And I ask that we glean from tonight what you would have us to take from this but that as each of us leaves this place, Father, that you would take us in, into those mission fields, wherever they may be, but that we could be your presence to somebody else in this world, that we could help guide someone else to you, that we could help bring your provision and your redemption and your peace to somebody else's heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to stop this recording.